0: Good evening. evening. Oh, well, thank you, the one person that wished me good evening. I appreciate that. I've had a couple iced coffees before I got here, so I'm ready to roll. I hope you are. Uh, Man, it's such a pleasure to be here tonight. Um, I want to say thanks to the staff for inviting me to speak with you guys tonight. Um, I go way back with the Spiveys, JP, Reese, and I. We went to uh, NC State together. I know I got one. Thank you, sir. And another. Yes, three, four. Um, and I know you did it in your heart, so thank you. But um, I was a part of Crew, and I'm going to say something. That I really mean this. Crew made such an impact on my life that it still has positive influence on who I am today. So I have deep love for uh, Crew and the ministry it has on campus, not only at NC State but here and what uh, they're doing across the world. So uh, another quick plug, they didn't even pay me to say this, um, or pay me at all, but uh, Winter Conference, I went to Winter Conference, it was great. Not only do you get to know other people from your campus, but you get to meet other people that are part of crew, and it's a great, fun time. And I remember when I would go, it kind of set up uh, the beginning of my year in a proper perspective, so I cannot recommend that enough. It's also a great gift from, like, grandma beatrice or whoever you know that normally gets you something that you hate like she can get you something like hey why don't you get me this for winter conference so thanks grandma b all right so tonight uh they've asked me to speak on the gospel and god's will raise your hand if you have no idea what god's will is for your life everyone sweet okay good um Good, because that's what we're talking about tonight. So, um, you know, when we think about God's will, what comes to mind when you think about God's will or God's plan for your life? Right? I did what any good Christian would do. I Google searched God's plan and found some great theological advice from our great theologian, Drake. Right? That's who we think of when we think God's plan I read that song intently, and I'm even more confused than I ever was in my life. Do not read that song if you're looking for God's plan for your life. But when we think about God's plan, I was thinking, what do we think about? And I got a couple things coming up on the screen. One of the things we think about is that one thing, right? What's that one school, that one major, that one career, that one spouse, that one place I'm supposed to live? We think of it as a one thing kind of shot. We also think about it in a future tense. Right? It's not now. It's going to be revealed, or we'll discover it at some point at a later date. Well, another thing is we also think it's influenceable. Right? We think if I don't choose the right thing, then the butterfly effect is going to go in, of course, and I'm going to blow up the whole world right? if I make the wrong choice. And As I was preparing for this message last week, I looked at my only trusted news source that I uh, put any faith in, uh, the Babylon Bee, and uh, I saw this headline, if you have the picture, Okay, we don't have the picture, wow, I guess it wasn't God's will to show the picture, so, um, Spivey's bringing it up, maybe, no, I can't, I don't want to ruin it, because I won't do it just, okay, okay, I won't ruin it, it's, it's, it's what, I mean, it's, it's going to hit home with a lot of you, I know, here we go, God working on backup plan to accomplish his will just in case Trump doesn't get reelected. Right? We feel like this is God's plan, right? Obviously, right? For Trump to get reelected, right? No, and I'm not getting any rights, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, like, this is what we think, right? In case you don't know, Babylon B is a satire news source. It's like the Christian onion, okay? So, it's like we think sometimes that God is up there, like, oh my gosh, if this plan doesn't work, what am I going to do? He's like trying to figure things out on the fly, right? So, we think his will is influenceable, but we also contradict ourselves because we also think God's will is inevitable. It's just going to happen anyway. There's nothing we can do about it. I remember growing up. I grew up in Apex, which is where Julian grew up. Anybody from Apex? You're? I thought you looked familiar. All right, the peak of good living, right? So, well, I grew up in the peak of good living. I went to a Baptist church there, and um, I remember we had this, and if you grew up badish, you know you have Wednesday night suppers, right? So we had our Wednesday night meal, and there was this, I got some yeses, I love that. So there was this lady that washed the dishes, her name was Eula, all right, not making that up. Her name was Eula, everybody loved Eula. And I remember one time that she announced to the church that she got diagnosed with an advanced form of cancer. And she asked the church if we would have a prayer service for her. Now, we were Baptists. We didn't really know how to do that, so we called our Pentecostal friends, right? We were like, how do we do this? Like, when do you bring the snakes out? Like, you know, just trying to get the basics. And Just kidding. And um, I remember they brought her from the church, and, man, I was impressed. Like, there was these guys really going into this prayer. We were were asking the Lord for bold things. They were asking for healing and then to rid this cancer out of her body, but everybody that prayed had a comma, but... God, whatever your will, be done. And I feel like, well, are we asking God to do something? Or are we just saying, God, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do? Right? I could have just summed up the whole prayer meeting and be like, God, you're going to do what you're going to do, so we'll see what happens. Right? That's kind of what we feel like with God's will. It's just inevitable and it's going to happen. And we also feel like it's mysterious. It's just confusing. It's frustrating. We just, God God, will you just tell me and show me? Will you give me a clear sign of what in the heck you want me to do? So tonight, I have the hard task, but I think what I want to say is, what if none of these things about God's will is correct? What if we overcomplicate things? What if we make finding God's will and discovering it something he never intended it to be? What if we could eliminate frustration, anxiety, confusion about discovering that? Would you be down for that? Good, because that's the only thing i got to talk about tonight. So I'm glad you said yes. But I want to pray again to God about that. And if you would, where you are, you don't have to do this, but I would just ask you just to kind of keep your hands open, just to sit with a posture of open hands. We'll bring about the snakes. and it's, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, this is just kind of a posture of your heart saying, God, I want to receive whatever you have for me tonight. I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to be closed-fisted. I don't want you to fit into my agenda. I want to be open to what you have. So as I pray, if you'll just keep your hands open as a reflection of your heart and your mind tonight. Let's pray together. God, as we dive into your word tonight, we look at this topic about discovering your will. God, I know that's something that's very applicable to everybody in this room. God, as we're in a higher level of education and kind of facing what are we gonna do for the rest of our life, people asking us those questions, us feeling the pressure to decide. God, I bet a lot of people in this room just wanna do what you want them to do but they're having a hard time understanding that, discovering it. And maybe it's because we've made it something that you never intended it to be. So God, would you help us find clarity and certainty tonight so that when we leave this place, we can be 100% confident about your will for our lives. And then we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you will uh, turn them on or turn in, the book of Mark is where we're going to be tonight and I always like to give a little context about what we're reading or what I'm uh, preaching on. It's believed that Mark is the first of the four Gospels, which are those first four books of the New Testament. It's the first of those written. So, in other words, it's the oldest book. It was written sometimes with, somewhere in between 55 and 70 A.D. The author is a guy named John Mark. Now, he wasn't a disciple or he wasn't what's referred to as an eyewitness of Jesus' life. But he was very, had a very close relationship with Paul with a guy named Barnabas, who they did missionary journeys together. And he also was really, really close friends to Peter. So Mark's book is actually Peter's account of what happened. And if you read Mark, you actually see that Peter's in everything, so it makes sense because this is Peter's story. And Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. So Mark emphasizes more of what Jesus did than what he said. And Mark only writes about four parables, right? You know what parables are? They're the stories that Jesus told to illustrate a spiritual point. He only writes about four of those. And tonight, we're going to look at those. And since he only wrote about four of those, you know the four he wrote about were super important. So, again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark 4. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen. I like to read out of the New Living Translation. Um, I know some of you are way more spiritual than I am in like ESV, you know, only, but uh, the NLT was written on an eighth grade level, and uh, that's where I peaked, so that's where I stay. All right, so here we go. Mark 4. Was that a snort? Did someone just snort? <laughs> Success. All right, Mark 4, verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, and he got, so he got on the boat. Then he sat in the boat while all people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with, air, with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. So other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Verse 10 says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around... They asked him what the parables meant. I love that. Like, they're like, Jesus, remember that story you told you? That was cool. Um, what did you mean by all that? Jesus replies with this. You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then I love Jesus' response back to the disciples. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest that is 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted so now as we read that scripture you're thinking okay how does this relate to god's will for my life and when we read this passage it's a well-known passage the parable of the sower or the parable of the farmer we tend to focus on the soil types right as you're listening to that you're probably thinking okay maybe i identify with this soil type or i know some people that are close to me that are probably this soil type And we get really focused on that. And that's good because that is one of the main points of this parable. But it's not the only point. Because along with the soil, we also see there's a point about the seed and the sower. So we want to take a deep dive in tonight on the seed, the soil, and the sower. And see how those apply to God's will for your life. So first of all, you have the seed in this story. That's the very first thing we see Jesus talk about. Jesus is using a very common thing that all these people can relate with because most of them were wheat farmers. And how they would uh, sow the seed for the wheat is they would have these sacks that would go around their chest and they didn't have you know nice, neat garden rows like we have now or nice spreaders. What they did is they just spread it by hand and they were just casting it everywhere. And wherever the seed fell, that's where it fell. But only the seed that hit good ground is the one that grew. I love seeds. Like I grew up in Apex. Um, it was a country little spot when I was growing up um, before you were born. <laughs> and uh, my dad had a garden and I loved helping him in the garden. And I loved corn seeds the most. I was going to buy one as a sample, but newsflash, it's not the right season for them. And I was like, if I had a corn seed, you wouldn't even know. So, um, oh, I got a corn seed. So a corn seed. The reason I liked them is because they were like purple. They had this like kind of husk thing on it. And I remember always thinking about it, how little it was, and it could produce a stalk taller than I am. And it would produce all these ears of corn that could feed our family and other people. I was thinking, man, this little seed has a huge potential. Just imagining what lies inside this little seed. And its potential is great, but only if it's planted in good soil. So here's the principle I want to share with you about seeds. A seed's growth depends on its surroundings. A seed's growth depends on its environment. The thing I love about this parable when looking at the seeds is the same seed was sown on all the soils. It wasn't like they saved the good seed for the fertile soil and the seed they didn't think was so good on the footpath. The same exact seed was sown everywhere, but only the seed that had the proper environment, that had the proper surroundings... Is a seed that grew. Verse fourteen in Mark chapter four tells us that the seed represents God's word. That's another say, a way to say the gospel. I've been following you guys on Instagram, and it's not like you individually, but crew. <laughs> That'd be kind of weird, um, crew. And I know y'all been focusing on the gospel, which is great. I love the gospel because it's something that can be understood in a moment, but it takes a lifetime to process. Right. And so we're looking at the gospel and how it relates, right? The good news is literally what the gospel means, how we were born into this life of sin, that we were separated from God, but Jesus came and lived a perfect life. He died a sinless death, but not only that, he was resurrected so that we can put our faith in him and he can make our sins forgiven. That's good news, and that's what the seed represents, See, the gospel is where God's will for your life begins. The gospel is where God's will for your life begins. When the seed of the gospel is planted in a fertile heart, and when it can dig roots to the secure, it, secure it, and when it has a nurturing environment, it has unlimited potential. See, the main point I want to leave with you of how this relates to your life and the seed is this, the growth of the gospel in your life depends on what's surrounding it. The growth of the gospel in your heart depends on what's surrounding it. Now here's what this does not mean. It does not mean that you just isolate yourself to only be in a Christian little bubble, right? And if you really get this, then you should become a nun or like a monk, right? Or change all your car presets to K-Love. Like, this is not what we're talking about here. It doesn't mean to separate ourselves and isolate ourselves. In fact, if you flip two chapters earlier to Mark 2, Jesus and his disciples get called out by the religious leaders, because I love this, they get called out because they're hanging out with, quote, disreputable sinners. That means people that everybody knew they were sinners. Their sins were very abundant and clear to everyone, and Jesus was still hanging out with them. See, while, why they could hang out with him was the disciples were constantly learning and living out the gospel by surrounding themselves with Jesus. It didn't go perfect. You know Peter's story, right? He's the one that denies ever even knowing Jesus. The disciples, Jesus, they're listening to Jesus face to face. They're like, Jesus, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. But still, it's a process. And they understood there was something different about Jesus, but it took their lifetime to process and to grow in that, and they had to fill it with a proper environment. So a reflection question I want you to leave you with, and maybe you need to write this down, type it in your phone, take a picture, is this. How do the things surrounding your life help or hinder the gospel's growth in your heart? Maybe sometime this weekend, if you want to get to a coffee shop or just some time alone in your room, take a personal inventory of your life. How do the things surrounding your life help or hinder the growth of the gospel in your heart. So that's the seed. Let's move on to the soil, which the soil is representative of the condition of the heart, right? And Jesus explains these four types, really, in verses 15 through 20. And I just want to go through these pretty quick. The first one we see is the footpath, where the seed couldn't establish roots and it left it open to destruction And the birds eventually just came and ate it. The interesting thing about the footpath is it wasn't that the soil was too hard. Right? It wasn't just that the seed was lazy and didn't want to plant or the soil was like, we're not going to let you in. Right? But what it says in verse 15 is that the seed was attacked by Satan. Now, this brings up a very interesting spiritual and theological question. One of which I think may be the biggest obstacles for people putting their faith and trust in Jesus, and it's this, is Satan real? I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that were like, I get Jesus and this love thing and forgiveness and grace, but I can't buy into that there's this evil thing called Satan that's trying to kill and destroy people. And one particular conversation, I remember very clearly, I, I had it at Starbucks. I'm at Starbucks all the time. You can just ask uh, Ashley Spivey about that. And Any Starbucks you go to in town, I'll be there. Um, and I, and this guy, we just kind of developed a pleasantry you know, relationship. Hey, man, how's it going? Good, good to see you. And I always would study, and I had my Bible out. And he came to me one time, and his name was Rob, and Rob said... Hey, Dave, I got a question for you. I was like, yeah. He said, and he started with this. He said, I was a religion major at some liberal arts college I would never heard of up north. I was like, okay. He said, I just have a question for you. Um, how in the world can you believe any of that? <laughs> I was like, man, we progressed quickly from, hey, how are you, to how in the world can you believe anything in this thing? And I thought about it for a second. I was like, that's a, that's a good question. I was like, you know, from what God has done in my life and from what I've studied there's no way I can't believe it. And he's like, man, I'd really love to talk with you about that. I was like, okay. So we had a conversation, and it went about as well as you can imagine. It was just a circular argument everywhere. He would make a point. I would make a point. We were kind of, you know, entrenched in ours. And I knew it was going to be that way, but it was very cordial. You know, it was, it was a good conversation. But towards the end of it, he said something very interesting. He had a daughter that was two years old, and he talked about, my problem with the Bible is that I can't believe that there's evil in my two-year-old. That You're telling me that if she doesn't come to know Jesus, that, that she will just go to hell and be separated from God and he will damn her? He's like, I don't believe that. I think there's good in everyone. And then I said, well, let me ask you a question. Do you discipline your daughter? He said, well, of course I do. I said, well, why? If there's only good inside of her, why would you ever have to discipline her? If she only did the right things, you would never have to show her right from wrong. He said, well, she needs to be a productive member of society, and she needs to do the right thing. I said, well, who determines what is the right thing? Who determines what's the wrong thing? And he said there, he said, I don't know. I'll have to think about that. And what I realized is that he had missed the whole point of if we believe in a right and wrong, that means there's an ultimate right, which is Jesus, and there's an ultimate wrong, which is Satan. Jesus even names him in John 10.10. 10. He said, there's a thief And his whole purpose in your life is to steal, to kill, and destroy. To steal, to kill, and destroy. All those things are opposite of the gospel. All those things are opposite of growth and nourishment in your life. My time's up. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we all have an enemy. So I want to make sure you understand that. Not only is it just, I don't feel like accepting the gospel. No, no, you have an enemy that's opposed you, and he wants to steal, and he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy. The second thing is shallow, rocky soil, where it was quick growth and a quick death. I refer to this as the Christian summer camp soil right? Have you ever been there? You know, Friday nights at Christian summer camp get lit, right? Everybody's rededicating and coming to know Jesus, and I remember one kid, I worked at Fort Caswell for a couple summers, and, uh, and so um, I, mean, I remember this one kid's like, man, this is the seventh summer in a row I've rededicated my life. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you get the record, all right? Um, because what I realized is this kid is making me in this emotional plea. This is great. We're just living on Jesus and get right back home, and boom, everything's gone. It's dead, right? Because it didn't have time to develop. Those roots couldn't dig down. As soon as it faced opposition and adversity, it was dead and it was gone. And I think as humans, we're hardwired that anytime we face opposition or hard things or adversity, we think we've done something wrong or we're doing the wrong thing, so we quit. We give up. Right? My wife is a therapist, and she always tells her clients, you can do hard things, right? And that's true. We can do hard things. So we face adversity, and we face opposition. That doesn't mean that you're going the wrong way. It means it's time to sink down those roots. So that's the shallow, rocky soil. The so- third soil that we see is the thorns. And I would imagine this is the one that we can relate to the most. The interesting thing about that soil is the soil wasn't the problem at all. The soil was actually good. It was just that too many things were in the soil that it choked out the seed, and it couldn't even grow at all. In verse 19, it says, The seed was choked by worries, wealth, and wants. Can you relate to that in your life? Worries, wealth, and wants. See, when worries, wealth, and wants flourish in our life, our faith and relationship with Jesus can't grow because we're giving the priority of our heart to those things. The last soil is the fertile soil, which is everybody's in here, right? Amen? Amen. All right, so everyone's has fertile soil in here. But the thing I want you to notice about it, there's, the fertile soil is made of three parts. There's three characteristics of the fertile soil. We see in Mark 4.20. It says it's those who hear the gospel who accept the gospel, and then who produce. Hear, accept, and produce. Normally we do two out of three pretty good if we have fertile soil. We hear and accept. To me, that's kind of like a seed that only grows roots, and it never has anything that comes above ground, right? Right? As a Christian, we want, man, if we come to the Lord, man, I need to get my Bible study, I need to listen to my podcast, I need to get these books, I need to get, you know, the Bible, and t- I need to do everything I can, but then we have no production out of that faith. So we just become a seed that's buried in the ground, that never rises above it, but we may have some strong roots. But Jesus says that's not really fertile soil at all. So let me ask you tonight, where's or what is your current soil type? What is the current condition of your heart? The interesting thing about soil is that conditions change. You know, I went to Moo U, NC State, um, and we learned about some crops. I took some uh, crop science classes, which are pretty cool electives. Also, took bees and beekeeping, uh, no big deal. But, um, you know, you have to rotate your crops every seven years because the soil actually will become bad and your crops won't grow. The same is true in your life. It's not like you get fertile soil and then you arrived. Yes, fertile soil, boom, I'm there. It's a process, and it changes. And if I can be transparent with you guys, I went through a really, really hard season. This is probably one of the hardest years of my life. I'm really looking forward to 2020 and put this year behind me. And I was living in some thorny soil. Man, I had so many worries that were choking out my perspective and my faith in God. And it actually led me into a depression. And that worry consumed me. And I had to go get help from a therapist. That helped me tremendously. And I had to actually take some action to cultivate my soil and to fight for it. So here's a principle about your soil. The condition of your heart. The condition of the soil is shown by the fruit it produces. The condition of the soil is shown by the fruit it produces. Another way to say that is the condition of your heart is shown by the fruit you produce. So the simple question is, what fruit is your life producing? Maybe another reflection question for you to think about. So we talked about the seed, the soil, and those are really important things, but actually I don't think those are the most important thing about the parable I think Jesus is, doesn't even give us a spoiler here, but maybe a spoiler alert is the main thing is in the title, <laughs> the parable of the farmer or the parable of the sower. So let's look at this last thing, this last most important thing, the sower. Who is the sower or the farmer in this parable? Shout it out. Jesus, right? Sunday school answer, you can never go wrong. If any professor even asks you a question in class, just yell out Jesus confidently And good luck. Um, No, I'm just kidding. So Jesus, right? It's that Sunday school answer. We all say Jesus. And yes, that is the answer, but that's not it. That's actually not it. The good thing about this is that in verse 14, Jesus says, the farmer is anyone that, one, has the gospel planted in their life, and two, takes God's word to others. See, the interesting thing about a seed is it takes a seed to grow a seed. Right? You just can't create a plant out of nothing. You actually have to grow a plant from a seed, and it takes a seed to grow a seed. A plant's main purpose is to reproduce itself. So that if the gospel has been sown into your life, then your purpose is to sow the gospel into others. So in the parable here, the farmer only had one job. He only had one responsibility, one thing he had to focus on sow seeds it wasn't to determine which soil was best it wasn't to fix the soil to wait until he got into the right soil to wait for God to tell him where to go the sower's job was just to sow seeds wherever he was so what is God's will for your life is to be a farmer (laughs) you have to transfer to NC State and I'm just kidding you, it's to be a farmer it's to be a sower what do we mean by that god's will is for you to sow seeds of the gospel in whatever field you're in period that's god's will for your life a lot of times we're looking for god to give us that specific will but you know the bible in the majority of it almost the entirety god's will what he talks about is the will he has for all believers the farmer's one job was to sow seeds, and that is what God's will is for your life. See, where we go wrong is we put all of our focus into finding that one right field. How many of you have changed your majors, right? The reason you change your major, you're like, oh, my gosh, I, I got to change. This is not the right thing, right? I made a mistake. I got to change to this. You know, I, I majored in communication in college, um, and it's the major they tell you, like, you can do anything with communication. You're like, all right, give me a couple specific things. You're like, anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. It's terrifying, okay? So it's like, I, I, I still, like, am trying to work. What, what am I trying to do with my life, right? And we get focused on finding that one right field. And we want God to tell us how and where to do his will. God, we want to do it. Just tell us how and where. Just tell us, and we will go do it gladly. But the problem is your how and your where, your where will constantly change. How you sow seeds and where you sow seeds will change. But why you sow seeds, when you sow seeds, and what you're sowing never changes. That's the focus of God's will on your life. See, the right field is wherever you are right now. Wherever you are in five years, that's the right field. Wherever you are in ten years and twenty years, and wherever you are throughout your entire life, that is the right field that God has you in. See, I got a news flash for you. You cannot screw up God's will for your life. You're not that big of a deal. I'm sorry to break that to you, but you're just not. We can't for God's not upstairs like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? They should go back to the first major. Why did they change? Go to communication. At least you can do everything. Right? God's not saying that. What happens is sometimes we confuse God's foreknowledge for us wanting to understand his foreknowledge, and we're just not. But we can have a faith and a trust in him that he is leading us to the right field. Sometimes we just have to make a choice. Like, should I move to Raleigh or Charlotte? Which one do you like better? Because guess what? God's already there. (laughs) He's already in both places, and he's preparing the field for you. Your job is to sow seeds, period. So the reflection question I want to leave you with as we close here is, are you sowing seeds of the gospel in your current field? And if not, what are you waiting for? Maybe you're thinking, I don't, I don't even know what I believe. I don't know why I believe it, and I definitely don't know how to tell somebody else about it. Man, do you know, There's some staff people here. you got friends here. They would love for you to come and say, listen, I need help with knowing how to sow seeds of the gospel. Because what you're doing when you have those conversations is you're cultivating the soil of your heart. And you're strengthening each other. And your staff are here to help you walk through that. There's so many tools out there, but you have to take responsibility and take the action. So as we conclude tonight... I want to leave you with just a simple reminder of how can you know God's will for your life? And I hope at some point, at some time when you're agonizing over this and you're frustrated with God, you'll remember about Mark chapter 4, the seed, the soil, and the sower. That we're called and God's will is for us to plant the seed of the gospel in your heart, to nourish it in fertile soil so that it grows and produces a harvest, and that you sow seeds of the gospel in your field. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not trying to trivialize God's life or just have like some little cute thing with soil seeds over, right? But I do want to tell you from personal experience, and I bet you can ask some of these staffers, is if you align your perspective with first and foremost that God's will is for you to sow seeds, and you focus on what you're supposed to do and why you're supposed to do it, everything else falls into place. When you elevate, God, where do you want me to go? How do you want me to do it? What job am I supposed to be doing? You're gonna put things in the wrong order and it's gonna bring frustration, depression, anxiety, and you're gonna be lost. And I think sometimes God's just up there, like, I've already told you what I want you to do. Sow seeds where you are. Be that farmer. I've created you specifically for a purpose on purpose, and I placed you where I wanted you in the field that you're in. You're in a field right now at UNCW. So are you sowing seeds of the gospel? As I close, I want to ask you just to stand with me. If the band wants to go ahead and come up, you guys can do that as well. And as I was looking at the message, I thought, man, the perfect thing to close with tonight is just to read Romans 12, Is a perfect summary of the message. So just ask you to close your eyes and if you feel led, if you'll just open your hands again and just be receiving of what the Lord says to you and speaks to you right now. I'm going to read these words and I'll close this in prayer. Romans 12, 2 says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. God, I come to you and I need to repent on my own of saying so many times I've put things in my life in the wrong priority. God, I've gotten so frustrated with you when you wouldn't show me the how you wanted me to sow seeds or where. Or God, even when I was doing things I thought were good and they weren't exactly what you had for me and they were taken, God, I just was so frustrated and I was left wondering if you really love me. And the whole time as your word points out, God, and you were screaming to me is, that's not the main thing. Our main purpose on this earth is to sow seeds of the gospel. If the gospel has been planted in our lives, then it is our responsibility and duty to plant that into others. So God, I pray that you will lay heavy on our hearts why we're supposed to sow seeds, what we're actually supposed to sow, And God, you will give us our urgency to let us do it now. God, even as we're sitting here thinking about it, thinking about people, maybe we need the gospel sown into our lives. Maybe we can't remember a time that we actually accepted that. And I pray tonight we will do that by saying, God, we want you into our life. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Or maybe there's people that are close to us that need the gospel more than ever, and you have called us to do that. God, would you give us the boldness and confidence to do that tonight? God, we thank you for making your will so clear to us. Let us never forget that. your name we pray, amen.